the VO meter, measuring your voiceover progress. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 26 of the VO meter, measuring your voiceover progress. And today is going to be a very special episode. We're going to spend the whole time bashing Terry Daniel. Woohoo! Take it, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> no, not really, but a little bit. <laughs> We're excited to welcome our special guests, Trish Bassani and Peter Bishop. Trish and And we'll talk to them in just a minute. But first, we have our current events. Sean, what is happening with you? Well, uh, I just got back from Hawaii, some personal stuff. Uh, my girlfriend is moving back to Washington after two years abroad, or actually six years abroad. Why? <laughs> Why? You ask this every time, but... Um, I, I know, she... I just can't, I cannot fathom leaving the islands. Oh, yes, for, for the Evergrey State? But, I mean, she grew up in Washington. She's been in Hawaii for the last six years, finishing college and working over there. And she just wants to be closer to, uh, to family and some, some guy. I don't know. and <laughs> <laughs> Some guy. And some guy. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, we had a wonderful time up there. And I swear this has something to do with voiceover. I actually brought my travel rig with me because she was actually, like, usually when I go over there, I just kind of, like, fill her closet with whatever pillows and blankets are available. But like I said, she's moving out. So that's just barren closet right there. So I brought what I usually bring, my little mic case. It's got my, my microphone and my Audi 94 and all my accessories and sundries and that. But I also brought the, uh, the carry-on vocal booth from our friend of the podcast, Adil Aliyev, the uh, the owner of VocalBoothToGo.com. He used to call it the carry-on vocal booth, but now they're actually kind of changing the name to the VOMO, or voiceover mo- wait, yeah, voiceover mobile booth. I, I don't know. They haven't changed it officially, whatever, but marketing. I think it's because, like, despite the name, you better check it. It's a gamble of if you're going to have enough space to put that thing in there. But other than the size, I love it. I think it's still one of the best sounding portable acoustic solutions out there. Um, certainly one of the more affordable ones. And I definitely think you should check it out. Yeah, it has been modified a little bit. And I actually spoke to um, Jeff, as he's now going by, to see if we could possibly borrow one for our trip to Mavo. Because oh, I think nice, they're going to be a sponsor nice. again. And they said yes. Yeah. So when that comes around, I'm going to borrow one of the new models and, and review it on the fly while we're doing our interviews at Mavo 2018. So that should be fun. Very cool. Yeah, so like you said, it's um, they... They've had a few different iterations over the years. They have, uh, when I reviewed their first unit at Mavo, wow, was it two years ago? Um, yeah, 2016. Uh, crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. But anyways, so when I when I first reviewed that unit two years ago, it was their second 2.0 version, and um, it made it a lot more aesthetically pleasing. They used a little bit thicker blankets for it, and you got a lot more space. And then recently, they, they reissued it, and they made something called their SSH, or surround sound hood, and it pretty much fixed the one problem that I had with it, or the one issue that I had with it before, and like most of these portable um, solutions, like say the uh, the Portabooth or the Chaotic Eyeball, they don't really have a any treatment behind you. So, uh, except for, I, I think the Portabooth Pro does, it does have a little hood that's tucked away inside. Uh, but anyways, so he went all out. He made this sort of framed acoustic blanket. It's the same kind of blankets they use for all their products. And it just kind of attaches to the back of the booth, goes over your head, and creates a nice little space. I would caution you, depending on which mic you're using, it can sound a little boxy. Um, so you might need to like do a high-pass filter or edit some of the low end out. But if your mic already has one, or if you're 
in a particularly reverberant room, I think it's a perfect solution for travel. Yeah, that's cool. And not to go too far off topic, but because they just announced it, I'm pretty excited about another product they have coming out. You may have seen they took their soundproofer booth off the market. The, oh, yeah. The, uh, it's like your acoustical vocal booth, but with the mass-loaded vinyl sheets inside. They took it off the market. And I'm proud to say partially because of me, because when I was, <laughs> when I was talking, I actually tested one here, I think I've talked about in the episode, and I said to the, the owner, you know, if it just had a door, it would be really cool, like the perfect solution for me, because I tend to, I have my uh, studio computer outside the booth. Mm-hmm. And anytime I have to go look at the actual screen, at least for a while, I do have a monitor in here now, but for the majority of my career so far, I had to run back outside to make any changes on the computer. And I was opening the door, you know, 15, 20 times a session if I was doing a lot of editing. Oh, yeah. So yeah. they went back to the drawing table and actually created one now that has a swinging door attached to it. And they're about to re-release it. I just saw a video that they released this week uh, from the factory in China, which is pretty a neat video. If you get a chance, watch that at pokoboothtogo.com. And I'm pretty excited for the relaunch. Yeah, very cool. Because, I mean, it's a good idea. And um, it would certainly be... Or like, unlike most acoustical booths, it does actually reduce some ambient noise a little bit. It's not completely isolated, but it is a nice idea for sure. And it certainly sounds good. I've never had an issue with how their products tend to sound when it comes to dampening reflections. But it's like, what, that's like a 40 or 50 pound slab of vinyl you have to move aside? <laughs> yeah, each panel. Uh-huh. It's pretty heavy. It yeah. wasn't. It's not as easy to set up as you might think. I've done it several times now, both in my own house and at Vio Atlanta. <laughs> Because whenever they set up a Vio Atlanta, they say, hey, Paul, you go do it. So that's you a lot of fun. You have experience? No. But it does, it does take some time. Yeah, that reminds me. They actually had, um, wasn't it sort of what they use, like the soundproofer booth at Vio Atlanta, just a really large one? Yeah, that's what we used. Uh, I say we because, as most of you know, I was on the, the technical team there. We used that as the booth where people were doing spots on the fly if they needed to get some, some work done while they were at the conference, and it worked out really well. Yeah, that was, I was really impressed. I know, uh, I believe George Widom was kind of manning the uh, the audio engineering side for that, helping people make sure that it sounded good. But nobody complained, and it was pretty much booked throughout the weekend. It was pretty awesome. Current events, other than that, just kind of doing my, my e-learning work. Uh, I actually tried my stint at just audio editing. My my repeat client over at, a, excuse me, EnglishAnyone.com, he uh, put out a new audio book. So just like an hour-long thing. So it was funny. We had a bit of a back and forth, and this is why communication is very important, guys, because he's like, yeah, I need I need some audiobook mastering. I was like, okay, I can recommend someone because I don't, like, that's a little bit outside of my editing expertise. And then as we talked, he's like, you know, actually, I just kind of need someone to edit out mistakes and, like, more to, like, proof editing and stuff like that. It was like, well, why didn't you tell me? I can do that. And so, <laughs> um, and so I did. And so, like, I felt bad because, I mean, we had spent a week trying to find someone for him, and then we found out that something I could do, and then we did it. Although, Paul, I don't know, like, I'm still at a kind of a three-to-one ratio, which isn't terrible, which means it takes, like, three hours to edit one hour of audio. But, I mean, you you audiobook narrators, man, just respect. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I if if I ever pursue it professionally because I do love the storytelling I do love the narration aspect but the editing just destroys my soul so <laughs> if you have well, you no know, I don't do it much anymore I, I pretty much outsource everything for for audiobooks I still what? edit e-learning and mm-hmm. narration pieces anything under an hour for the most part but anything that's over an hour I will send to several editors I work with because it just saves me so much time absolutely I mean, case in point 
uh, if I can move on to one of my uh, topics right now, I'm working on a uh, on an audiobook that I picked up this week on one of the freelance sites at union rates. Woohoo! So, ooh, maybe I shouldn't have said that because now uh, now my editors will know how much I'm getting paid. But anyway, <laughs> I'm getting the union rates on the narration and outsourcing the editing, which is about uh, a sixth of that cost. And it's well worth my time to do that because I don't have to do any of the editing. I can work on more projects at once. So I'm doing this three-hour book uh, and sending everything out to be edited. And I do it now even for royalty share books. If I have one that's that I think is going to do well, I will outsource that editing too because I just don't have the time. I'm, I'm so busy right now with so many projects that I don't have the time to work on editing. I'd rather just keep working on the things that will make me more money in the long run. Absolutely. And there are certain like certainly things that you can do to speed up that process even more. Like I know Sean Pratt is a huge proponent of punch and roll recording. I know a lot of people are. And that kind of brings me to another topic, though. If you're interested in voiceover or if like if you're looking for I mean, Paul's great at kind of having a multifaceted voiceover business. I know he casts a lot um, and he's just a great networker. But if you have a facility with audio engineering and stuff like that, you can market yourself as a voiceover editor and kind of like network with voice actors that you want to work closely with and then uh, and then practice editing their stuff. So uh, that was another way to build your business in that area as you kind of work in building your own voiceover career. Yeah, one of my audiobook editors, I'll give him a shout out. His name is Christopher Rain, and that is actually a pseudonym because he's also an audiobook narrator himself. But he, he's doing a lot of editing of other people's work while he has some downtime. And I didn't even know that wasn't his name until like the third book we worked on. Oh, wow. <laughs> I said, wait a minute, who's this guy sending me an invoice? So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a great way, like you said, to make money. If it's something you already have the skill set to do, then then use that. So, yeah, but make sure it's something you're good at before. Because, I mean, <laughs> you're dealing with someone else's livelihood here. So make sure that you like you have some facility with it and you can get those tracks out efficiently and in a timely manner. But, yeah, it's just another option for for expanding your business and being more than a like sort of a one stop shop. So as far as a couple of the other things I'm working on, I am working on that that three-hour book that just sort of slipped in this week while I'm supposed to be doing two other nine- to ten-hour books. I just finished one for Findaway Voices. It was the second one in the series. It's called The Balkan Network, and it'll be coming out pretty soon. I haven't heard back from Findaway yet, but I don't think there's any issues. And about two weeks ago, the first book I did for Findaway, The Nimble Dodger, came out on Audible finally. It was out on a couple other of the... Um, other platforms like Scribid and uh, Libro and Downpour, but it's it was released on Audible about two weeks ago, so go ahead and download that, please. I would appreciate that. And then there's a third book in that series from the same author that I'm supposed to work on any minute now, as soon as I can find some time. It's called The Credible Dagger, and they're all three books in a series about the same cast of characters in uh, parts of World War II and then uh, the Gulf War. No, I'm sorry. Uh... What was the operation in 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 the Balkans? I oh. actually can't remember what it was called. The oh, U.S. Lord. version of it. Oh man, I can't remember. So obviously the, not Desert. The, Storm, the ousting of Slobodan Milosevic basically is what we're looking at. That that time period, and, and the breaking up of the former Yugoslavia, and then the last one is is a, a prequel that takes place in World War II. So those are a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, so it sounds like you're doing a lot of his. Uh, would that be historical fiction or? Um... Yes, exactly. I don't okay. think they're real characters. Well, it's cool because, I mean, I know you've been hitting the pavement or the audiobook pavement for several years now, so it sounds like you're kind of honing in on the projects that really um, that resonate with you. Yeah, things that are sort of in my wheelhouse. It goes back to what we talked about so much as finding what 
finding your niche and finding what you're good at. And history, historical fiction seems to be a good fit for me as well as some of the um, some of the darker uh, macabre and, and horror things I've done. So it's good for <laughs> it's a good fit for my voice. Interesting. Yeah, you do have kind of a Vincent Price thing, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> and then other than that, I have a couple of cautionary tales that I'd like to share with the audience about oh, setting rates, and it, it fits in with with the discussion that we have pretty much every couple of weeks about setting proper rates, knowing your worth, and making sure that you stick to your guns. So I had a company who hired me for a session. They told me it was a a huge national company, and I said, great, it sounds fantastic, and they were going to pay me $500 for the session, uh, just on web usage. And that is not a great rate, at least for, for a big company like this. I won't say the name because ultimately I did not get it. But what happened was they, this company, the production house, pitched it to me as a job. And they said, here's a session. We'll do it this day, and uh, we'll pay you $500. And I said, okay, because it's this company, I'd love to have them on my resume. Let's do it. So we did the session. They asked me for a retake, which should have been a red flag. And I said, okay, I'll do that too. And then a week went by where I did not hear back from them. So I finally heard back after following up, and they said, oh, sorry, we didn't get back to you. The client uh, ended up not liking the take, so we went with another voice. Uh, we'll pay you $100 for your effort. Uh, and I said, no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, you do not know, you don't understand how this works, apparently. You sold this to me as a job, not a, not an audition, not a spec read. This was a job. So you'll be paying me in full for this. And at first, they didn't, they didn't respond back right away. Then they got back to me and said, okay, we understand where you're coming from. How about, how about we give you $200? And I said, no, again, you... <laughs> You told me this was a job. I'm not sure where you're coming up with this idea that my time is not is not worth the money that you promised me. But just to make things go over easily, I'll, the least I'll accept is 300. And we did settle on that. They paid me, and I'm sure now I'll never hear from them again. But <laughs> I felt good about sticking to my guns at least three quarters of the way and knowing my worth. Absolutely, and yeah, don't like. I'm glad you're like. I never called you a pushover or anything, but yeah, you do need to stick up for yourself and. Sometimes you like, and you have to educate clients and not be afraid to lose them if they don't agree to what you're to what you're offering. So uh, I'm glad that it, for the most part, it was ended up favorably in your position. But unfortunately, it's a real struggle these days to get to educate clients on what a proper rate is. And some people, like unfortunately, there are different tiers of clients where some will never pay you more than anything more than $100. Like, they're perfectly used to Fiverr rates. You know what I mean? And, and sometimes it's not just a small client. It, it may not just be a mom-and-pop shop. This particular case was a huge multinational children's toy company. And it's so frustrating to see that rate come back. Yep, yeah. And it's like, I mean, they're savvy. They're being sharks. They're trying to save money. And so that's why it's all, or like, that much more important to educate yourself on proper voice structures or excuse me on proper rate structures and stuff like that and so um do a bit of a shameless plug for gbaa right now but many people have benefited from our free industry standard rate guide so i mean you can go over to the global voice academy website you can check that out it's free to use however if you need uh, specific support or uh, you'd like negotiation advice or assistance we do offer that as part of our vo pro membership program so uh, that's all i'm going to plug for that but it's a great service and you get a whole bunch of additional ongoing support and educational services that are just wonderful honestly it's, there's nothing like it in in the education or the vo education market i think and I know it's hard. It's hard to, to, to have that 
that structure and say, this is, this is it. I'm not going to go below this point. But it really comes down to coming from a position of strength. Whereas right now, I have a lot of work, thankfully, and I was able to make that decision. But I know it's really hard when you're staring at a bill and there's no other money coming in. You think, yeah, I'll take that. But what's going to happen is it's going to set you up for a mindset in your own mind where you're just going to think that's all you're worth. And I'll give you a perfect example because I did it again almost last <laughs> week. I had another client who came to me with a promise of 2,000 hours of an e-learning project and uh, pitched me at a rate of $100. And I did the math in my head and said, that's a lot of money. I could do that. So I took it. And I sat down and, and did the first couple of the sessions. And then after the fact, after I had, I had signed a, a work-for-hire agreement with them, said, this is insane. What am I doing? It was also because, again, I had a ton of other work coming in. I said to myself, I can't finish this for this rate and do all the other things I'm, I'm supposed to be doing for other clients. So I actually took it to our, our mutual agent at TAG, uh, Jimmy Cobble, who, by mm. the way, is, is still recovering from a recent health spell. So, Jimmy, we, we wish you the best and hope you get well soon. Mm -hmm. And this was last week. Of course, all, all the... All the bad luck in the world came at once. So I was talking to Jimmy about renegotiating. And he said, yeah, that's something that, that we can do for you. So they contacted the client and said, this is what it's worth. Actually went to the GVA rate guide and pulled that rate and said, it was, I think it was $750 for, this, for the e-learning rate, and took it to the client. And the client said, maybe, but we did already agree to this rate, and we'd like to at least finish out this first set of modules. So Jimmy and I both said, yeah, that's fair, because we are kind of reneging on, a, on a, an agreement, at least that so I made. So just to make the, sure, not, because because we you've tossed out a couple of different numbers, was that a $100 versus $750 per finished hour? Yes, per finished hour. Okay. So a huge gap there. And again, I did not have the the um, the faith in myself to accept the or to go for the, the, the proper rate, and I caved, but then came to my senses later. So anyway, we are going back to the client. We finished the first set of modules, which was five, total of five jobs that I did for that $100 rate. And now the client said, yes, we can renegotiate. Let's talk sometime next week. So thankfully, Jimmy is getting better and is going to be back at work soon. So next week, we're going to talk and try and get that done to renegotiate it at a proper rate. And I'm sure it still won't be the top of the, of the guide, but at least we'll get something more fair that's, that's more worth my time for, for doing the work. Absolutely. And like, I mean, you certainly strive for that, but sometimes you do need to make compromises and the, the context is important. Some, some companies really can't budget more than what they're offering. But like, say, if it's a project that you're particularly interested in, you might be willing to take a, like a slight hit for that, but only you can make those choices. But one thing that I did want to, to kind of delve into a little bit more was this idea of not selling yourself short, especially when you're starting out. Because a lot of people were like, oh, I don't have experience. I, I'm willing to work for exposure bucks. Like, please don't do that ever. But there's this idea. They're like, oh, as I gain experience, I can raise my rates and stuff like that. And there is an element of truth to that. But you really need to start pricing yourself at standard rates because it's an, upward or it's an uphill battle to try and raise your rates as you do gain more experience. And honestly, if you're getting clients you've already proven that you're voicing at a competitive level, so charge competitively. So many people think like, oh, I don't have that many years of experience in the industry. It doesn't matter. It's talent-based, not experience-based. So charge yourself. And that conversation with older clients really sucks too. I can tell you from my experience this week, having that conversation with a client you've already told you'll do the work at a lower rate is not fun. It's mm -hmm. a lot easier if you have an agent, but it's still not fun. Yep, yep. And sometimes, uh, and a lot of, 
talent will tend to raise their rates annually. So or just kind of like incrementally each year to kind of meet cost of living expenses and stuff like that. And sometimes you might lose clients that way. But again, start at an acceptable minimum and then you can start building uh, like your rates as your experience goes up. So please don't go for Fiverr rates ever. That pretty much wraps up everything for current events. But that brings us to our questionable gear purchase. All right. So I'll start off. I don't have a purchase per se, but I have a, let's say, reconfiguration of previous gear, which I've been known to do a lot also. It could be so, like a retroactive questionable gear purchase. <laughs> Something yeah, you, you love. You're like, ah, oh, maybe I don't need it. <laughs> and I'll be the first to admit that I've come full circle on this, <laughs> i.e. I'm a freaking hypocrite. times over. <laughs> <laughs> but what I've been doing this week is using my 416 <laughs> for everything, including audiobooks. Uh, the, the reason behind it is so stupid. I should have just done this a year ago. Or when I had a 415, I should have stayed with that. But regardless, now I have a 416. And it was my commercial and, and video game mic, and my SM7B was my narration mic because I could sit down. But what I was finding, I was hearing so much background, so much mouth noise and nasal sounds out of the SM7B, even though it's supposed to be not that sensitive, that when I was doing the audiobooks, I decided to just go to the 416 for everything. So that's what well, I'm using now. How closely were you working the, the SM7? I'm sorry? How, how closely were you working the SM7? Was that still from like five to six inches away? Probably a little less, more like three or four. Not right on it like a radio DJ would, mm-hmm. but pretty close to it because you have to be pretty close to it to get a good sound out of it. And I do have a fat head plugged into it, but I was oh, still getting. I thought you said too... fat head. <laughs> it's like no need to, to self denigrate, Paul. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> the fat head is, is an amp, inline amp booster for the interface, and that did help with the sound. But I was mm-hmm. still getting a lot of sounds from my head i think it's just the allergies this year we have we've had so much rain on the east coast you may have seen some of the historic flooding we had here in maryland mm-hmm. and it's it's made allergy season the worst in probably a decade so that's probably what's contributing to it but the hyper sensitive direction or hyper focused direction of the 416 helps with that so i've gone back to my wobble stool which i also bought on a whim and haven't used it was, that was a questionable gear purchase i think i mentioned in an episode mm-hmm. i'm using the wobble stool with the 416 to read off the the monitor I have outside the booth and just do it. They use the 416 for everything. And again, and which, I know I'm a complete hypocrite because I've talked so many times about how I need to have two mics and I've shifted <laughs> so many mic purchases, but that's that's the essence of the show. Questionable gear repurchase. <laughs> well, I mean, like, think about that. How many times have I gotten an Yamaha AGO3 and sold it again? At least twice. Um, <laughs> and But it happens. I mean, last episode, I sold my TLM 103 and I'm sure everyone's like, <gasps> But oh I wasn't using it for like eight months and got a nice chump of change for it. So and and I hear this again and again. So many people are kind of downsizing their studio and usually just sticking with the 416 or um, or going with like a like, say, three hundred dollar mic over one of the industry standards. So, I mean, I know the guys on VOBS are saying this a lot now. It's just like the gear is so good. It's so if it sounds good, it is good. So it really, like, we're spoiled for choice these days. And, like, honestly, if you're spending, like, 200 plus on a mic, chances are it's going to sound great. And Paul and I are lucky that, like, our businesses have allowed us to, to get a 416. And they're wonderful mics. And I know many people are like, oh, it's not good for long form. 
Not for everyone. I use it for e-learning and audiobook work all the time. No complaints. I know freaking audiobook titan Simon Vance loves the 416. And Bob so, Sauer uh, uses one as well. Actually, Bob Sauer uses the 415. Oh, and yes. Yeah, same thing. Right. Are, are you sure about that? I'm almost positive it was a 416. No, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's one of the but two. And was... either, way, either way, they both sound almost the same. It would have that same complaint, so to speak. Well, yeah. I mean, the 415, I, I think, would be even better because I know a lot of people described it as warmer or more pleasant. But honestly, for like, give it a shot. Like, I definitely recommend if you're at that level, because I actually had I had an interesting conversation with uh, with someone over in the voiceover camp group because they were working with like a like a sub hundred dollar MXL mic. And they had mentioned to one of the admins over there like, hey, does anyone know about modding your mic or DIY mic projects? And somehow my name got dropped because I'm a mic <laughs> nerd. But um, but anyway, so they reached out to me and I'm like, you know, I've never actually bought a mic mod or anything like that. I'm familiar with the people who do it but I never bought it. And then he's like, oh, okay. But before he left, I was like, all right, what's your problem? And then so by the end of it, he's like, oh, maybe I should just get a new mic. And I was like, yeah, you think? Because it's like you're spending the same amount of money. Instead of trying to mod a mic to get the sound that you want, just buy a mic that has the features that you want. Stop trying to make a, what is it, a silk purse out of a so's ear, you know? Yeah, just shop around too. You can find them eventually. Like I, yeah. I have a great price on my 416. Exactly. And like nowadays, you can get, like, you can easily get a 416 or a TLM 103 for about $600 to $800. Like, three, yeah. just about $300 less than market price. So, I mean, a lot of uh, the 416 tends to go on sale at least once a year, especially around Christmas. And then the 103, you tend to find used in great shape for seven, like easily for 600 to $700 regularly. Maybe a lot of failed rappers or vocalists who <laughs> are dissatisfied with the mic. I don't know. But yeah. um, their loss is your gain. And for our listeners, please tell us what you think. We'd love to hear your comments in the comment section. I'm using the 416 right now for the pre-show, but I did use the SM7B when we recorded this interview uh, a week ago. So tell me what you think, which one sounds better. And absolutely, and we'd love to hear about your questionable gear purchases or your sensible ones. Like we said, there's so much new gear out there that we'd love to try ourselves, but we just don't have, we don't come from old money. But we love hearing about gear. We love talking about gear, as you know. So if there's anything that you'd like to share in our comments or in a VO meter shtick, go ahead and let us know. So that's it for me. Did you have any questionable gear purchases this month? Uh, I actually just brought my uh, laptops into a local PC repair guy because I wanted to make sure that they were all tuned up and or like basically do a clean install of High Sierra. So they're both working in the same OS environment and all my peripherals will work with both. So that's certainly important. And this guy was great. I mean, I got he cut me a lot of like local discounts, which um, was just awesome. He paid and, you in fish. What was that? He paid you in fish, you mean? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> fish and grapes, right? I mean, you're paying uh, him in fish. That's right, yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's like a Christian reference in there somewhere. But, um, no, I was anyways. thinking about the, I'm thinking about Pacific Northwest. I know you're not actually in Seattle, but. Oh, paying in my, salmon? My, like, yeah, my, my like enduring vision of Seattle is the fish market and people throwing fish across the, 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 the counter. Fresh each other. fish, we catch <laughs> them, you buy them. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, only in Pike Place. Um, <laughs> But anyways, um, no, God, completely derailed me. But other <laughs> than that, I, um, 
I'm just kind of looking for or like I'm kind of future planning right now. I'm thinking of adding some additional uh, treatment to uh, to the blanket booth. Uh, I'd like to pick up some Audi Mute panels because they're about the same price as the Vocal Booth to Go blankets, but they're a little bit more aesthetically pleasing. And since I do do a lot of YouTube videos for myself and for GBAA, I thought it'd be nice to have something that was a little bit more pleasant to look at than like white blankets and PVC behind me. Because <laughs> um, professional perception is important. Mm-hmm. But uh, speaking of gear right now, uh, last thing we'll talk about. So I mentioned that my computers are at the shop right now. I'm actually using my phone to record the podcast. It's crazy. Um, we're using the Twisted Wave app to actually record the audio. And meanwhile, we're simultaneously running Zoom, which is a video web conferencing app. And the audio is going into my 416, into the SBL Creon. So it's a powered interface. So it actually has like an AC plug. And then it's iOS compatible. So uh, I got like a little camera connection kit adapter connected to a USB going into the phone. And everything is going through that. And it sounds awesome. So Yeah, I was actually surprised that works so well. I didn't think it would I didn't think you'd be able to pull it off, honestly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great. Well we did spend about twenty minutes trying to troubleshoot and figure out what would work. Um so like, needs to see behind the curtain. I know. But anyways, no, it's it's fun to have those troubleshooting things. I don't know if I would recommend this for like a directed session, but it's always nice to have those options available. And I know uh, a friend of the podcast, Rob Marley, he when he started recording voiceover, he had a he had a really noisy computer. So he actually set his studio up around a little netbook, like a tablet in his closet. So he would record to the tablet because it's silent. And then he would just offload it to a computer and then edit there. I did the same thing, actually, when I first started. Yeah, it's a great solution. I used a little uh, Dell hybrid PC, a tablet clamshell removable keyboard type of thing. And if you want to go like super lightweight, there are a number of great USB and iOS microphones that you could just plug directly into your uh, tablet or device or whatever you're using. I know Apogee has, or a lot of people are really happy with the upgraded Apogee mic or the Mic Plus. Uh, looks pretty slick, and they fixed some of the problems that were in the earlier models, like they had inline monitoring and a little bit more control for it. So. I personally had a bad experience with Apogee, but that might have just been a lemon, so I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. And then you've got the Sennheiser MK4, the Blue Raspberry, iRig Mic Pro. Like we said, there's so much gear out there. Try something that interests you, send us some samples, and then we can tell you if it's good or not. So we'll get to our interview segment with Trish and Bish in just a moment. But first, we're going to continue the theme of bashing on Terry with a VO meter <laughs> stick from Jordan Reynolds. <laughs> Hey everybody, it's time for the VO meter shtick. What did he say? It's time for the VO meter. Oh, never mind. The VO meter shtick. Oh, got it. Yo, Jordan Reynolds here. I was asked to record something super, super interesting for the VO meter podcast. But first of all, I just needed to also jab at Terry. Apparently, he couldn't make this interview with uh, Trish and Bish because, well, he's too busy, what, training for his next marathon and probably rejecting all of our posts in the VoiceOver Pros Facebook group. Let's face it, he's a jerk. No, really, he's a busy man, and we're all busy. And I know I've definitely prevented plenty of uh, VoiceOver Cafe episodes from being scheduled or recorded or completed. (laughs) So we're all guilty. All right. I love you, Terry. 
I had to really think for a while. I'm like, what interesting story. I don't have any stories where it's like, uh, Jordan, that take was great, but uh, this time, could you actually just, uh, let's see, remove your left sock and tie it around your throat like it's a, a necklace? Uh, all right, rolling, take three. That would be a cool story, but um, that was a lie. There is a site, which I'm sure a lot of you are aware of, called freesound.org. And on here, I spent a lot of time, not only because I was getting into audio and voiceover at the same time, back in the day, which is around 2009, 2010, almost 10 years ago. Holy crap, I'm getting old. So, um, but there's a lot of people on there who have requests for sound effects, um, and there's plenty that require voice. So I spent a lot of time on here because it was the only place I could like practice without having to buy a membership anywhere. And I would fulfill requests is what it's called. So I'm going to share a few of my samples of me fulfilling people's requests. These are pretty much one-liners that people would ask for a few takes for, and I would do a lot of takes. So here's a good little sampling of some DJ drops and random lines of dialogue in games. Enjoy for a moment, and I'll chime back in. Team LTA. Team LTA. Team LTA. Wow. First of all, you hear the mouth clicks in there? Oh my god, I'm so sorry. But hey, you gotta learn somewhere, right? And every time I'd upload one of these free voiceover requests on Freesound, there was this one guy, and he was the mouth click police. No joke. He took his job very seriously. And my audio was decent compared to most people, but I was really new with audio. He would always download my voiceover samples that weren't even related to his project and then clean up the audio, like fix plosives and especially mouth clicks. <laughs> and he'd always be like, reposted previous voiceover clip was full of mouth clicks and was purely unacceptable. All right, moving on to the second best performance of my life. Here we go. Your arcade radio. Your arcade radio. Your arcade radio. Oh, good thing I gave him that super robotic one there at the end. That was probably really useful for them when they wanted a supernatural read. Uh, you're R, Kate. <laughs> All right. And one more. 157 Lounge. 157 Lounge. 157 Lounge. Oh, yeah. This is how I talk. I'm, I'm so sexy. Uh, so these were in the early days, and when you all start there, right? Oh, and again on this one, let's see. I'm sparing you from the dun, 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 uh, about 19 more takes of that one line. Yeah. Point being, it's totally cool to just go for it and do tons of practice reads. But as you could hear, I was trying to force my voice into something that I'm not. You know, I'm not this suave, hey, hey, hey guy. <laughs> I wanted to do that, and it's fun for character work, but in Strictly Commercial, which is where a lot of us are going to work in, or, or training, or even corporate, they don't want to hear a put-on voice. How I'm just chatting with you right now is what most projects want. So if you're first getting started and practicing on your own because maybe you can't afford coaching yet, which is obviously the position I was in there. <laughs> and at the time, I was in my early 20s, and probably like all dudes in their early 20s, I was quite insecure. And had to make up for it by talking like this. <laughs> so moral of the story, just be you. That's what most people want. We all have something interesting about us that makes us us. And we got to figure out how to bring that to the microphone. I have to work on it every day. Trust me, I have to try not to sound too polished. But when you get comfortable in your own skin and with your own natural voice, man, people are going to hear that in your auditions and want to work with you. All right, summer's here. I'm getting sweaty and gnarly in the booth, so I should probably check out before you guys can start smelling me through this MP3. Just keeping it real. Thank you, Paul and Sean, for doing this awesome podcast, and it's an honor. Seriously. Peace.
It's almost like a roast of Terry Daniel. I mean, <laughs> you're probably never going to listen to it. But if you do listen to it, Terry, we love you, man. We're just, like, I'm sure you're going to be a good sport about this. So in case you still have some ego left, better hold on to it, because we've got some tough love coming up from Peter Bishop and Trish Bassani coming up next. All right, everybody, and welcome to the interview portion of this episode of the VO Meter. And we are really excited to have two people that, at least in my mind, are idols of mine in the industry. And I'm sure Sean has some some fond feelings of them as well. Uh, I know they've yeah. they've taught us so much, both virtually and in person in a lot of cases. So first, let's welcome Trish Bassani. She is a full-time voice talent since 2004 and uh, is a host of another podcast that you may have heard, a co-host at least, The Voice Over Cafe. Also from The Voice Over Cafe, we're featuring Peter Bishop, a Londoner living in New York uh, since the mid-90s. He's a full-time voice talent and also vice president of the World Voices Organization. So welcome to the both of you. Let's, uh, let's talk a little. How you doing? Oh, thanks. I'm great, Paul. Thank you. Hi, Sean. Hey. <laughs> thanks thank for having so us much. on. Absolutely. Now we've gotten like, what, three-fifths of the VO Cafe? We just need a Jordan and Sean to join at some point. <laughs> well, and Terry, if <laughs> well, you want to count him. <laughs> no, we, no, we've had him on the Good podcast. Good luck with nailing him down. Oh, oh, that's what you meant? Okay. We have right, actually, yeah, yeah, we've had him on, although uh, it was uh, it was the first time we had to use the censor button, so it was a little, it was a little dicey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, we're going to, me and Bishop work that one out, too. Stated that the rest of us were a little miffed that he came on your podcast, but trying to pin him down to do his own podcast is a little more difficult. Yeah, we oh, guys, no. we haven't done a show in a year. <laughs> it's it's been a year, almost exactly. It was last May, the last time we actually did a show, and and so there was this, you know. Uh, uh, joke going around that because we host the voiceover cafe mixer that were the like the sponsors on it that we do more parties than we do shows a year you know it was like it was kind of ridiculous I don't see but this is a criticism <laughs> <laughs> what's the problem yeah so yeah. The, the standard joke we, we we used it for a while well we say it's a joke but it's actually the truth terry spends most of his time in rehab Getting <laughs> him out is difficult sometimes. Oh, this is going exactly as I hoped it was. So I'm glad. <laughs> I was talking to another uh, another colleague, and they said you should introduce Terry. And I said I, I think they'll talk enough about Terry without me having to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so everybody listening, what we need you to do if you really want to listen to another Voiceover Cafe podcast is actually email Terry and tell him to get his ass in gear and actually, you know, meet us for a show. It's one hour out of a year, literally the last year, that we can't seem to pin him down. So if you guys want to hear another show of the VoiceOver Cafe, then, uh, you know, email Terry Daniel and just tell him what's up. In all, in all seriousness, you guys, you guys were the inspiration for this show, at least for me. When I was looking for, when I was talking about oh, doing a podcast. don't blame us. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, really, don't blame us. Well, when, when I was looking for a partner, I said to Sean, you know, I, I really enjoyed the, vo the voiceover cafe. I've learned so much from them, and I'd like to sort of pay it forward. And that's, that was the whole thrust of this show, was to sort of help people that were in a similar situation as we were, starting out in the business. Now it's been a few years, so we're not in the exact same position, but trying to pay it forward because of all the information we gather from you guys. Aww, thanks. As a serious true. comment, that's, that's nice to hear because one of the things that's important to me anyway is, is the whole thing about commu uh, community. And I hate the phrase giving something back. 
it's too cliched and often gets misused. But seriously, um, the reason we do the cafe when we do it is because we just enjoy doing it. And mm -hmm. if people get something out of it, that's great. I mean, I think we'd still do it even if we had like five listeners. Mm. And one of those would be Terry because he never hears the show because he's never on it. So he'd have to be <laughs> one of the five listeners, you know. Well, because Sean Caldwell, you know, fills in for him. We've had him fill in occasionally um, a few, well, several times actually as host. Um, because I personally, I'm the terrible host. I cannot keep things in line. Sean is good about keeping things moving. And Terry's really good at that, too. So that's why I kind of hesitate taking the show over. And just because Terry occasionally does say, well, guys, just do the show without me, you know, because I, I can't today. And there have been times where we've tried to do that and I've tried to like take the reins and it just doesn't work as well because Terry is Terry just keeps things kind of moving forward. And I tend to get stuck on, you know, it, it's like herding cats. I mean, seriously, you know, especially when six of us or five of us are on the show at the same time. But, you know, it's it, when everybody's got a different opinion and we like to go through all of the discussions and sometimes it just winds up getting too long winded and we wind up with something that's completely all over the map. And then I, I don't even I'm not even comfortable like. producing it. That's why um, what? You just gotta that's what edit into like. a bunch of smaller episodes. Uh, yeah. Um we have an expression in the UK. I've never heard it over here, but you probably have it as well. Um there's no show without punch. It's a reference to Punch and Judy shows and you know, the cafe isn't really the cafe without Terry because I, I don't feel comfortable insulting Trish. But I'm <laughs> certainly comfortable insulting Terry. And yeah. you need a foil. Uh, we all like takes... to insult Terry. <laughs> That's his role. That's his raison d'etre. It is. He's kind of the punting bag, but he kind of asks for it sometimes. <laughs> well, as much as about him, yeah. As much right, as I wanted, yeah, to... sorry. As much as I wanted to make this the the bash Terry hour, I did have some actual topics <laughs> to talk about. So, the the way I want to do this was sort of a, a roundtable discussion about general topics about the voiceover um, businesses in general, and then some current events things that may. That we may want to talk and, and discuss. So, first of all, since our audience, a lot of them still are newbies. I hate that word, and I promised I wouldn't use it after episode one, but I slip every now and then. So, anyway, a lot of our audience is newbies, and they're looking for information about how to get started, what equipment they need. So, let's start there. Back, if you can remember that far, Peter, when you were starting in the business, what what was the the what are the things you think you need first and foremost to start a VO career? Well, uh, first of all, everyone's situation is different. Everyone brings something different to the table. Now, in the early 70s, because in the early 70s, get me, um, I was a failed musician, basically, because I can't play for, to save my life. So I went onto the engineering side and, you know, was having fun uh, recording the bands. So I knew my way around SM58, uh, dy dynamic um, LDCs, phantom power, mixing desk, Revox tape recorders, tape uh, splicing blocks and everything like that. So I bought all that engineering and I was an engineer anyway into it. So the tech thing to me was, it was a no brainer. It was just, Oh, right. I need, uh, uh, the right mic, uh, the right preamp and some recording software. And that was it. It was as simple as that. It was not having to think about it. So that was the easy part for me getting into it was simply because I was in an environment where uh, I was supported. The whole follow your dreams thing, I, I still have a little wooden plaque given to me. And the environment I was in 
we had an actor who was uh, trying and has gone on to quite reasonable success. And I was told, just go for it. And I also brought in a history of um, corporate speaking and that sort of thing. I can string two words together in the right order and make them sound reasonable. So I brought that with me, my technical background, and what I needed to do more than anything was learn the business, not learn the tech or actually learn how to speak, really, to be honest. Um, so it was because of a supportive environment and just being told to get off my ass and bloody do it. Mm -hmm. so that's the short version. <laughs> Trish, what about you? What do you think is absolutely necessary if you're going to start either when you did or in today's world? Uh, oh, the, the landscape was so different when I started um, than it is now. But I mean, nowadays it's it's so much, I mean, the equipment's so much cheaper and that that seems to be a real attractive thing for a lot of people. And that's uh, unfortunately the first thing that they go for. They're like, all right, I'm going to be a voiceover talent. So I need to go out and buy a microphone. Um, yep, guilty. Or, you know, and, and that's not real. I mean, yeah, you'll need one, but you kind of need the training first. And, and for some reason, people tend to look at this business as like a get rich quick scheme. And, and it's not, they're like, oh, I'm just going to talk and people are going to throw money at me. And, and it doesn't, yeah, it's not that they, they find out quickly that it's not really that simple. And so I would say, I mean, yeah, definitely get training first. Like you, you have to, it's just, you know, you're, cause you're up against people that, have a lot of experience and you know um and no matter where you are in your career you're going to still need training because trends happen you know when i when i remember when 9 11 happened and it was i wasn't full-time yet but i was i was doing voiceovers and i was actually um that was that was right before i got my very first commercial demo produced and i was working with a coach i worked with her for a whole year before I decided that I was ready for my demo. And when 9-11 happened, all of a sudden, all the commercials started to get a little more somber. They had a different feel to them because the country was in such turmoil at that point that it was it wasn't something that you wanted to be you know we there wasn't a lot of uh, commercials and whatnot that was that was really happy and joyful because of of the the feel of the general feel of the country at that point so um couldn't have fun anymore right do you remember a perfect yeah. example do you remember the real american heroes campaign from budweiser yes. i think it was budweiser they actually changed mm -hmm. that after 9-11 because they were afraid it would offend first responders. And maybe that there's some truth to that. First responders, police officers, firefighters, mm -hmm. because those are real American heroes. So it became real men of vision, I think, and it just failed after that. Yeah. They filmed a lot of movies at the time as well. A lot of feel-good mm -hmm. movies were due for release uh, that got pulled and held back about 18 months or two years. I was working in radio and there were songs that we pulled from the playlist um, because they were too, they either mentioned, like we actually pulled Tuesday morning from Leonard's, from, from Skinnerd. I think it was, I think it was Skinnerd Tuesday morning because 9-11 happened on Tuesday morning. So mm. it was like, we actually pulled it from the playlist because it, it might stir up feelings, you know? So 
We were, you know, yeah. So anyway, going back to the original, my original point was that trends change in the business and and sometimes fairly rapidly. And so and and sometimes it's a voice type and sometimes it's a feel, it's an energy, um, just styles in the business change. And that's why you're always you always need to keep up on it. And so that's why you need a coach no matter where you are in your career to kind of keep on that, you know, keep on those trends and stay relevant. So, you know, that's that's my biggest advice is don't go out and buy equipment right away. Make sure you get the training, do a ton, ton of research on the business. Um, Just just be a sponge for information and listen to the people that give you advice that know what they're talking about. Don't listen to the people in your family uh, that are not that are probably not in the business. Talk to somebody that's in it, listen to them and you know, try to really t- take heed and advice on, uh, on what you need to do. Oh, thank you One both thing, so much wanna, for that. <laughs> that was amazing. I, I want to cycle back to something Trish said there. Um, and it, it's also to one of my earlier points. It's what do you bring to the table? Being a niche talent, uh, uh, a Brit in New York, um, basically, I've, I've done a few bits and pieces, yes, but I can't usually get arrested for commercial work where you have to be current and trendy and on top of your game and have a, 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 a killer demo that's no more than 30 seconds old. You know, you've got to be that current. I was going more for the corporate market because that's I knew that's where my strengths lay, e-learning, corporate. And then you try for anything else and develop those skills as you go along. But for anyone starting out now... Um, you can't shotgun, I don't think. Uh, I think you have to decide um, with help of people that know what you're good at. You may really want to do commercial work, but you may have a perfect e-learning voice. And when you do commercial, I don't mean to be disrespectful for anyone, but the last thing the commercial world needs at the moment is another soccer mom. Um, <laughs> and that's almost a cliche. So... Mm maybe decide what market you want to go into where do your strengths lie uh, a good coach and good advice will will help there um because when you start generally speaking you don't know what you don't know and you've mm-hmm. got to find out well in, in my opinion you have to start somewhere but in my actual experience it was actually the opposite of what bish is saying and and for me my fr- my very first coach told me that she heard she she told me i had a newsy voice meaning you know i was good for journalism and news type you know more official type things and I actually landed a couple of months later, I landed a campaign for the Trump Taj Mahal in Atlantic City where I was playing a party girl. And so it was literally the they heard something on my demo that they really liked and it was fun and bubbly. And that's what they hired me for. And honestly, it's I I, I get hired for the snarky stuff, but because that's where my natural voice is. But I'm able to to. <laughs> fake the kind of fun bubbly uh, it's not faking Trish it's called acting <laughs> right acting. Um, but it's not a, it's not my natural personality I'm kind of a little more you know oh you're fun and bubbly and all the time 
<laughs> um, well, no, I mean, but yeah, but I'm not like a giggly, like super giggly type of girly. Yeah, you know, Guinness not that there's know. anything wrong with that. I'm just saying it's it's my it's just my not my personality. So um, anyway, so y- it's good to have a goal, like if it's something you really want to do, but listen also to the market and what the market is saying to you once you start booking work. Because if I had listened to my first coach, I. I probably wouldn't have even gotten the opportunity to work with the Trump Taj Mahal. So it was like, it was something that, and, and they were a great account. They were with me for 10 years. Um, Do they pay you? you? Know, I, I, until. <laughs> no, no political. <laughs> um, you know, so yeah, they were a 10 year account. And until literally they closed their doors uh, when they, you know, went out of business or whatever, a couple of years ago. I was still doing stuff for them. So, you know, it, so, so listen to them. I mean, be open to other things. You may really want to do audiobooks or, you know, or medical learning, uh, medical e-learning, whatever, you know, but listen to the market and listen to what people are responding to. One thing you left out there, Trish, was that you did have a little bit of radio experience. So a lot of people, when they first get in front of a mic are afraid of it. But if you've done radio, Mm-hmm. you get you you learn that the, the the mic is just a tool a lot of people use the mic when they uh when they first start they're talking to the mic and yeah that's wrong <laughs> right you talk to everyone on the other side of the mic uh, mm-hmm. but too many people i mean addressing the mic is one thing you've got to the right place but it has to be transparent um yeah and radio mistake. i mean it's a it's a totally different mindset being a DJ. There's a ton of radio DJs that are now trying to get into voiceover because they have that voice. But unfortunately, that's not all it takes these days to be a voice talent. So they're learning. And and it was a big deal for me. I remember I wasn't in radio for that long when I started pursuing voiceover. But one of the first things I ever said to my second coach, who wound up being my commercial coach, who did my demo later, I said something about, well, you know, yeah, I'm a a DJ. And she's like, she pointed to me. She looked at me. She's like, never repeat that to anyone in the business. And your head in shame. Uh, Yes. And because I was like, oh, my ego was up there. I was like, yeah, I'm on the radio. And, you know, I make, you know, like whatever. And and so there is an ego to it. uh, But. You're, it's your natural, like, it, it, there's a ton of DJs that, yeah, they, they talk differently into the mic. The uh, projection is different. They don't know how, I mean, if you, if you hear the radio ads that from each station that the DJs are producing with their own voices, you, they all sound the same. You know, they don't read copy any differently from a, from a radio ad, from a, you know, a, I don't know, a, you know, a sandwich shop to a, to a car dealership. It's going to be this. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to sound exactly the same. They don't know how to translate copy. Yeah, exactly. The nuances are not there. They don't know how to be conversational. (laughs) Right. The buzzwords nowadays. Yeah. And that's what's the hardest transition, you know, is like you have to get out of your own head to do VO. Um, and a lot of DJs think that they're just they're doing it because they have this great voice where it's not it's not like that anymore. It used to be, you know, but there's so many people with great voices that don't know how to read copy. Mm-hmm. It's not a one sided conversation. You're not just shouting out to the masses. You're trying to communicate with them. 
Mm-hmm. And, and also, um, you don't have to have a great voice in the classic way. Um, what you have is an instrument. You need to know how to play it mm-hmm. or be fashionable. The one I always quote is um, Gilbert Godfrey gets a lot of VO work. Has he got a great voice? No. <laughs> but but uh, it's a character voice. Um, mm-hmm. People will buy anything if it's done well. And that's that's the thing. So you don't have to have a classically good voice um, in some genres. If, if you're doing radio spots and whatever, be Mr. Character, but be, do it well. Mm-hmm. Because the, the casting directors know what's good and what isn't. And take yeah. acting lessons. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Speaking of um, training and sort of transitioning from that, like, journeyman to actually working voice talent, how do you know when, like, say you're working with a coach, you're actually taking your guys' advice, and you're working with a coach for maybe half a year to a year or longer, however long you need, when do you know it's the right time to produce a demo, and how do you go about it? Ah, That's a difficult one, because there are a lot of people making a lot of money out of making demos. You've got to go by word of mouth with a demo producer who, when you approach him, is just as likely to turn around and say, you're not ready yet. And he's not interested in making the quick sale. Um, There's a real danger with getting a demo out there when you're not ready, because it's this whole thing. I think Bob Bergen said it once uh, on Facebook. You only get one chance to make a first impression. And if Mm -hmm. you send out a substandard demo, because someone's talked you into it, you, you've stumped up, ooh, 500 bucks, and um, the, the guy down the road has knocked you up a, a commercial demo, it's going to hit agents or whatever, and it's going to go straight in the bin. And then two years later, you'd be surprised. They'll remember your name, and they won't even listen to your second demo. Mm-hmm. So it, it's difficult, but you need an honest opinion about it. It's not when you think you're ready, it's when someone with good ears thinks you're ready Mm -hmm. and your coach again if you're in this business you should have a coach um, no matter where you are especially at the beginning so your coach if unless they're also a demo producer which i i worked with them separately early on but those were the roles back then my coach was not the same place that produced my demo so she was honest with me and also it was me too was like i wanted i knew i could get better then I, I didn't want to just cut a demo to get out there. I, I wanted to be the best I could because I was in the New York market when I first started. You know, I was like I was promoting myself and trying to get agents <clears throat> in New York, in the city. So I knew that I had to really be on my game to be able to compete with the current market at the time. So, you know, to me, listen to your coach. Your, your coach should let you know, you know, uh, when, you're, when you're ready to cut a demo and when you're comfortable. Also, don't forget, um, there are plenty of markets now, and it's become, I think it's a little silly. Some people have like 10 different professionally produced demos for every genre. You may be ready for corporate, but not commercial, because you haven't quite tuned in to the current voice. But if you can put together a good e-learning or corporate demo, that may come at a different time than your commercial demo. Or the other way around. You don't have to saturate the market with three or four different demos. Um, If you concentrate on one thing, you get there with that, you can put that one out there. Then maybe follow up with the one that's taking you a little more time to perfect. Mm 
So it's not all or nothing. You can you can have a drip campaign on it. And I would say if you're mm. brand new and you're looking for advice on whether something you've done yourself or something you've had done by a demo producer that you may have questions about yourself, like you did it and you're having second thoughts, send it to a colleague that you know is well-respected in the business. A lot of you have actually sent me demos already They just out of the blue and said, hey, what do you think of this? And you've, you, those people know, I'll be honest, and tell you whether it's, it's any good or not. <laughs> and I'm not even the most experienced, but once you've been in the business for you know three or four years, you can tell whether something is marketable based on, on what you hear from your colleagues and what your own demos are if you're working in the business. I will do it, but I hate it. Um, I am not the arbiter of whether someone else is saleable. I can pick up on diction things and this stuff that sounds wrong to my ears, but I'm not the guy with the checkbook. So I'm very reluctant to say to someone, yeah, you're ready, that's great, or that's not quite ready yet, because I'm not a buyer and I don't trust my own ears um, when it comes to someone else's livelihood. Yeah, I should you know, caveat what I said by what people mostly ask me about is their studio space and whether what they're they're oh, yeah, what they're playing is, is right. And I usually yeah. send send the disclaimer yeah. saying I'm not a coach, I'm not going to critique your performance, but your space does sound like garbage. <laughs> is what I'll is what yeah. I'll do. Mm -hmm. yeah. Will you stop using the bathroom? <laughs> and <laughs> one other follow up question I had about demo producers: Do you think? There's only a few that are really worth going to because we all have friends and, and colleagues that, that do demo production. And it seems that there's really a small cadre of people that are referred to over and over again. Do you think that's, that's the end all be all? Or do you think you can get a demo from those that may not be all over the Facebook groups? Facebook isn't the be all and end all of VO. Plain and simple, you cannot live and die by Facebook. Facebook is a small section of people. You get a VO group with 10,000 people in it, and everyone's an expert. Um, social media is an interesting tool for being social. I have my doubts as to whether something like Facebook can do anything but harm to someone's profession. Mm. There, I said it. <laughs> I would have to agree. Um, you know, I probably well i don't know how much flack i'm going to get for this but i haven't i haven't paid to have a demo produced in a really long time i actually do i do my own with snippets of work that i get back from clients and um i just produce my own i understand why people go and have a new one done and refresh it or whatever and spend some some places are charging 5k for a you know for a for a demo but and 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 I'm not saying that you don't get your money's worth. You certainly you certainly can. Um, you know there are big names in our Facebook circles that I know are the real deal, and you know they're they're great coaches, they're great demo producers. Um, is it something that you absolutely need to do? Uh, in my opinion, no. But not so much that you don't need a demo producer at all, but especially when you're getting started, obviously, like I said, my first demos I had produced by someone else and it worked out for me. But there's certainly demo producers that I'm sure that are good that are not on Facebook, yes. but at least with the Facebook circles in the community, in the voiceover community, you have you have people that are involved in that in those circles that have used those people and have gotten results and so you have that personal connection um to 
you know, people that you know that have used that that demo producer and have had good results. So there's a lot of producers out there that don't go onto social media because they're too busy because they're producing demos all the time simply by word of mouth and recommendation. They don't Mm -hmm. need to market themselves because their work markets them. Right. Um, and well, and there's plenty of voice talent that do the same thing. There's yes. there's people in this business that make a living doing what we do, but are we've never heard of because they're not part of the, the online community and I they're just doing their own thing. Sometimes mm-hmm. I really do because <laughs> social media is such a time sink. It's it really such is. yeah, but it's such a lonely business, though. You know, it's so isolating to be you in a, lonely. A I've room. seen the pictures. <laughs> but all the time. Well, that's at night, though. Like I go out a lot during the week at night, but you know, during the day, I'm here all day by myself, and it's you know, without Facebook, I would freaking go bonkers. It's like you know, you need some sort of water cooler. To, you know, I've always told mm. people Facebook is our water cooler like those, you know, we we're at our home offices and yeah, for the people that, that live with other people, have kids, families, whatever. But I live by myself. It was if it wasn't for online, I would go berserk. Yeah, but it gets a bit old sometimes. Some, sometimes I think 50 percent of my feed is people trying to sell me stuff. Really? Yeah, I get that feeling too. Just to go off script for a second, do you think Facebook in particular is going the way of MySpace? Because my feeling is, and it may be this algorithm thing that I haven't figured out, but I see the same 10 posts every couple of hours from the same 10 people. And I know there's people that have opinions that I value. For instance, Bish, I haven't seen him post anything on Facebook in months, and it's probably by design. But I feel like there's just not enough content there anymore other than pictures of cats and people's kids. It's nothing or the same questions being asked again and again because nobody uses the search function. But no, right. what mic should I get? Should I sit or stand? <laughs> but it's like I want answers from this week, not last week. It's yeah. ridiculous. Right. And and um, and Trish, I totally agree. I mean, when I was living in Japan, that's when I started, and so of course, like my only access to other talent for information and mm. like re- or like trying to establish a connection was through Facebook and. I wonder if people, like, if you're on Facebook that much, how much VO are you doing? (laughs) But what I love about uh, what Trish and Bishop have been talking about, aside from just blowing open so many misconceptions about the business, is that, again and again, you don't take anything at face value. You're, You're presented with a resource, but you still do additional research, and you really delve deeper into that, and then make your own choice. And I love that. It's like so many people are looking for the shortcut, the right answer, and there's not one. It's really dependent on the research you do and finding something that works out for your situation. Right. And I don't know if that segues too much into our next uh, question, but I'm going to do it anyways. <laughs> but so you've got the training, you've got the demo. Where do you find work? Are, are pay to play still an option? Like, is that acceptable? Do you, do you go the agent route? Do you have to go the agent route? Where do people look? Trish, do you want to go? I, I'll um, rattle on forever on this one. So I'll let sure. you Sure. The the pay to plays minus v.com <laughs> it to me are still certainly relevant. Badalgo and you have voice one, two, three. And there's a I mean, honestly, like when it comes to I'm not gonna tell other people where to find work. If you can't find work, you're gonna have a really hard time in this business. It's everywhere, but you have to learn where to look. 
And, you know, honestly, sometimes it's just as simple as, as plugging in, you know, voiceover, voiceovers into Google. It's like, just, you know, do a search. There are plenty of ad agencies and production companies that hire talent directly, getting on rosters. That's, that's how I built my business was calling, direct calling, you know, cold calling, basically, ad agencies and production companies to ask if they accepted voiceover demos, because there still are a good amount of them out there that have their own in-house talent rosters. And they will, there's no, and most of the time, the beauty of that is that they hire you multiple times. They keep you on a regular list and they submit your regular generic demo to clients. When a client comes to them and says, we want this kind of voice for our campaign, and they present your demo and they'll just email you and go, hey, client chose you. There's no auditioning. Right. It, it's like it's it's fantastic. It's like, you know, we there's no auditioning for the script. It, there is they like your voice. They want to use you. And that's it. How you know, when can you have it done and how much? And that's most of the emails that I still get. So if you need practice in auditioning, then the pay to plays are really good to to do that way because they're just constantly coming in. And, you know, it's a good way to just get comfortable. If you're just starting out, it's it's a good way to get comfortable on a microphone and start recording and editing and just starting to really practice doing all the things that you would do if you were full time. So to me, it's it, that's it's it's everywhere. There's I mean, I've gotten jobs off of Craigslist. You know, yes, you have to be very specific and very finicky with what you, you know, even be careful on what you click to. on. Yeah. Sure, you know, but I've I've gotten five figure. Honestly, I've gotten five figure jobs from Craigslist ads and Twitter, and you know, so it's like, or not so much five five figure jobs, five figure clients. I did get one five figure job on on Twitter a while back, and it was great. I mean, you know, it's 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 nice. I mean, you know, most of the stuff that you're going to do is going to be a couple hundred bucks, five hundred bucks, a thousand bucks here and there. But yeah, I mean, honestly, it's just as simple as a Google search, you know, do a do a search for for voices, you know, or voice talents and see what comes up and see who's listing. And then you you email that website. If it's a list of voiceover talent, then you email them and ask if they're open to receiving new new demos and see if they will add you to their list. It's not as hard as it sounds. Bish, any thoughts? I agree. I get lots. Uh, <laughs> you can take two VOs. Let's say they're at the top of their game, six-figure VOs. One will do everything via an agent. One may not even have an agent because he does exactly what Trish is talking about. Um, agents are useful. Uh, they can find you a route to work. They're, they're a necessity if you're union, obviously. Um, but if you're not speaking specifically from a non-union point of view, most of the work for non-union talents comes from their own marketing efforts. And it may be 10, 20% from, from agents. That's my feel anyway, with discussions I've had. Um, pay to plays are here. Um, there are a couple of honest ones. Uh, V123 has its weird rating systems and, and stuff, which I hear they're getting rid of. Um, but they're straightforward. They're just a middleman, just a matchmaker. Armin is a rock star with Bodalgo. Uh, he's really involved with the community. Um, and he's hosting this call, by the way. Thank you again, Armin. 
And he's hosting this call. Yeah, he gave Badalgo call to the world. This is not a plug for Armin. Oh, bugger. We're shills for um, it. it it's, but, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, not a shameful one, anyway. We cannot ignore them and hope they go away because they're not going to go away. Um, but I will echo what Trish said about production houses. Um, so much of my work comes from being on production house rosters you're on the roster they want you to get the work they don't want to outsource it they want to keep their customer happy so they're going to present you they're going to present you well i had one the other day um it was an audition rush audition did it one day got the call the next day about uh, about five o'clock saying oh that audition you did yesterday client likes you you're going to be ready in 15 minutes it's duh can i get the script please um and and that was it done and dusted one big panic and uh but the audition was um, the production house came through basically said you're one of three people so oh these are good odds um that they've been shortlisted so you work with people that want to work for you so that's agents production houses um everyone gets their slice of the pie um a, a production house or an agent will earn it and it'll be good for everyone. You've just got to watch the people that want all the damn pie and just give away the crumbs. <laughs> Quick question about production houses. Names? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Quick question about production houses. My, my strategy up until now has been to sort of scatter spray and just contact anybody and everybody I can find online. And if they add me to the roster, great. And I've been pretty successful. But it's gotten to the point where I'm starting to lose track of where my demo even sits anymore. It, are there any play? Are there any ways to vet a production house or um, roster if someone is looking to add you to them? I always look at the roster itself. I listen to the demos that are there. You can get a feel for it. Um, sometimes, and it's the same with agents. Some production houses and agents will take everyone with a microphone and a pulse. Uh, they just want a big list. They're playing the numbers game. Um, and that's fine. That's their business model. But um, you'll get lots of auditions, but so they're, they're cattle calls. Um, but no, you do your research as much as possible. I've been approached by some smaller houses and you look at the work, you look at the roster, you go, meh, nah. Um, <laughs> and you look at the rates, you discuss rates. I don't get out of bed for that. You know, seriously, mm -hmm. I'm not cheap, um, <laughs> which you, you can be. <laughs> worth every started... penny, Bish. <laughs> Sorry? I said worth every penny. But... Oh, absolutely. But this cycles back to the what do you do when you're starting? You've got to take the lower paid jobs. Yes, when I started, I was taking $100 jobs and grateful for them and smiling sweetly. And then you realize, hang on, this isn't where i want to be this is not how i want to position myself in the market i am not a hundred dollar talent maybe that's all i was worth back then i don't know probably um but you slowly raise your game i i raised my minimum session fee this year haven't lost a single customer which means i should have raised it last year <laughs> talking further about getting work the, the last question really we want to talk about is where do we see the, the future of the business going Something that came to mind was the, the Google Duplex demonstration this, this week, which scared the, the bejesus out of me. If you're not familiar with it and you're listening, it's a, an artificial intelligence that can actually naturally respond to questions. So the demonstration they did at the Google um, 
AO conference was to actually play, make an appointment for a hairdresser only using the artificial intelligence. Do we think that is coming faster than maybe we thought or hoped? Will, will our robot overlords take over anytime soon? Um, well, obviously, we're all hoping not, but it's certainly a possibility. Um, you know, on, on the other side of it, I I would say on, on the human side of it, I kind of a couple of years ago, I think I did. I think I talked about this on the cafe. See, a couple of years ago, there seemed to be a bubble that started to burst. I know that we still see a ton of people that are new to the business. But what's happening in 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 my experience is that there have been a lot of people because the industry has had so much uh, publicity and you know glamorization um, in the last probably five or six years. There are a ton of people that have tried to get into the business, failed, and quit. And so, and but a lot of people now know what voiceovers mean, and you know what what it is. I still run into somebody that I tell them what I do, and they're like, "What is that?" But generally, you know, to me, the the business has gotten a ton of publicity, and a lot more people know what it is and what it means in the last, like I said, five or six years. And to me, like two or three years ago, I started to really see and you know, people posting on Facebook and chit-chatting with various people. When I tell people what I do and somebody says to me, oh yeah, my sister tried that and found out it wasn't really easy. So, you know, she kind of quit and she's working a regular nine to five now and she decided not to pursue it. So that's happening. And so to me, there's, you know, it's only going to take a couple more years before people really start to realize that it's not what it's cracked up to be, um, what they or what they think that it's cracked up to be when they first get started. And it's just like free money for talking, basically. And there and so that bubble has started to burst and, and word has started to spread about how difficult it is to make a living. So I'm hoping that that will continue. Um, sorry, but, you know, there's still time for um, us to get out, Sean. <laughs> um, you know and and people that have pursued it that didn't you know do it correctly to begin with didn't really you know do it you know like i said they went out and bought the equipment right away and decided to cut a really crappy demo um and then they found out it wasn't that simple so you know to me it's like that's that's been a little bit of a relief for me is like okay people are fine the the word is getting around that we're you know we're not just you know, the people that are successful in the business are not just lucky or, you know, um, or, or and, and we certainly don't have lazy lives, you know. So uh, but on the on the robotic side, you know, with the software that's coming out, I really doubt that it's going to get to the point where we're completely replaced um, any time, if that ever happens, it's not going to be anytime soon. Yeah. I, a, a lot of what you, you say there makes total sense. Uh, just to riff on one small thing there. Um, I actually was asked a couple of years ago what I did for a living. I, I told them reluctantly and they rolled their eyes and I, I was like, no, no, really I do. I pay my mortgage, put food on the table and everything <laughs> it's like, because they come across a couple of people that were these buy a mic and get a bad demo and call themselves a VO because it's show business. Mm. You know? So I was, I found I was defending myself. Okay. Specific to this question, 
I'm going to be very self-serving here because I'm at least, what, one or two years older than Trish? Um, <laughs> it's not going to affect me. And that's a very selfish attitude. I don't see it coming along before I decide to retire. Yes, it's going to work on IVR. It's going to work on very basic instructional videos. Um, I think, to be honest, it's not going to take work because I think it creates its own market. Um, it's the same with cheap VOs. To me, it, they come in the same bag as cheap VO. I don't see cheap VO threatening me because cheap VOs are being bought by people that wouldn't buy me anyway. Mm -hmm. Their choice is cheap VO or no VO. Yeah, it's the I Walmart mean, versus Tiffany. Well, syndrome. actually, what I've got uh, is... <laughs> I, I scribbled some notes earlier. I see many people buy their cookies from the dollar store. Their choice is the dollar store cookies or no cookies. I'm selling premium cookies. They were never going to be my customer, you know. Mm -hmm. So, yes, it's there. And the demonstrations are impressive. Um, but you still have to buy the software. So, yeah. you know, that's the thing. And the software isn't cheap either to at that level, you know, so they're, you know, and, and maybe it eventually will be. But again, when it comes to all the nuances of the human voice and, you know, uh, I think that time wise, it would actually it's going to be cheaper and faster for them to ultimately stay with real voices. I, I want to listen to, uh, let's say, a good corporate narration or a, a, a piece of e-learning, and then someone tell me, well, that was all computer generated. Um, auto response, uh, something that's a, uh, a straightforward explainer video that's been fine-tuned. Um, I, I, I really, 10 years at least before it uh, has any impact on the business. And even then, I'm not sure it will be the part of the business that most of us work in. I have a feeling it'll be price-driven. I think I said this on a different podcast episode that if it's cheap, that's one thing. People may say, you know, I'm going to pay for quality. If it's free and Google starts rolling it into the Android operating system, that scares me a bit. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I think people will become... It's a novelty at the moment. I, I, still, I, think, I still think there's a, a bit of uncanny valley in there. It's good but it's a little freaky because it's not quite good enough. And people will become attuned to that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know it when the phone rings. I know when it's a robot voice. Even one of these really good ones I've heard recently. And you can have fun with them. I think people will get attuned to it and it will actually end up being a bad reflection on the person that bought it. You know, mm -hmm. that's... I don't know. I haven't thought that one through fully. Yeah, sort but of like they, when you get a customer service rep that you can't, that you know is outsourced and they don't have any idea what the product is and they're just reading from a script. You know that's a cheaply right. done or I, I service center. I bank and I end up speaking to someone in Mumbai because they're cheap bastards and won't <laughs> keep a call center in where you are. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and they say their name's Roger. And your name's not Roger. Please just tell me your real name. <laughs> I understand you would like to know my real name. How can I help you today, Mr. Bishop? <laughs> um, but that cheapens the brand. And I, I think people do realize that there is a downside to cheapening your brand, which takes a hell of a recovery. Um, it's, it's, it's like having your demo out there. You, you send a cheap, uh, a bad demo out there to 20 production houses. Recalling it is 
difficult. I mean, mm -hmm. to to actually get that off the streets because it, it's out there in a digital media, and it's there. So calling it back's difficult, you know. Well, I said so I was going to end on this question, but I don't want to end on such a downer. So let's yeah. let's just go around the room and tell me something cool you're working on this week. Oh, Trish, you go. What, what have I been doing that's cool? Um, I can start if you like. <laughs> um, sure. All right. Yeah, so yesterday, I actually, well, took some of your advice, Trish, because I've heard you tell that story before. I, I was searching on Craigslist and found a job for my son. You, you probably, or maybe you guys haven't heard, but our guests, I mean, sorry, our listeners have heard that I've been doing some work with my kids in VO, and I found a documentary film for my six-year-old. It's about the, um, well, kind of depressing. I said it was going to be depressing, but it's about the glaciers melting and how, uh, how we just save them by stopping global warming. So that was pretty cool that he's going to be doing a voice job right here in the studio next Tuesday with a live session. That'll be hilarious. He's going to have the headphones on that I'm wearing. I'm going to be outside with the, the dual set of headphones on and listening to the director. Cool. Fun. That's cool. So I don't know how we stop global warming, to be honest, but it, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, right. that's another discussion for another day. <laughs> or perhaps not. <laughs> I'm sorry, Sean. No, well, I was just saying, way to end on an up note there, Paul. It's gotten a documentary before I have, but <laughs> <laughs> my dream stolen by a 14 year old. Or, six. Uh, right. 11 year old. Like, okay. Six year old. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, he's going places, man. <laughs> I had to stand a thing because I, I, I took some extended time when I went to London for the, the One Voice conference. Uh, which was great, by the way. Um, so I was piled up on right up until the day I left, and I got back on uh, last Tuesday, um, and I haven't stopped since. But it's all been business to business, corporates, um, nothing fancy. Um, I that last minute piece I did uh, on Wednesday was for a famous shoe brand i actually did sign an nda on that one um and i'm going to be the internet voice of a famous chocolate bar oh cool so i do get those little oh. ones like that but most of it it's uh i've forgotten the, the amount of times in the past three months i've used the word defenestration in uh, a medical instructional video <laughs> i mean it's 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 glamorous i know but uh, has to be done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm the same way that Bish just said. Like, I, I do, I don't know, probably five to eight projects a day. So I don't really think about sp anything. Like, there's nothing that really comes to mind from this past week that I really can, that stands out. It's like I do a lot of different things, but there's not one in particular that was like particularly exciting. I guess uh, a couple of weeks ago I did a I'm the I'm in the the Lego store in Rome or is it Milan? It might be in Milan. Um the the Lego store there uh I'm on some of the announcements in the actual Lego store like you know those the in-store kind of product advertisements and stuff. In English or Italian? So, <laughs> in English. Oh, cool. I did, I maybe yeah. spoke Italian. I didn't know. <laughs> no, nope, nope. <laughs> Nope, in English. Not everyone so. in New Jersey does. Just most. <laughs> Their names all end in a vowel, but they don't necessarily speak the language. I got you. 
Right. You know, the most exciting thing I've, I've, I've done this week, really, is send off a bunch of invoices, which is always exciting. That's very exciting. Almost as exciting as getting the checks in the mail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's a business. Let's not forget it's a business. Mm. And we're not all unicorns and snowflakes. It's about paying the damn mortgage. That's true. Well, that's true. I mean, you get a lot of people who are like, come on, guys, why won't you support me for this fan dub that I did? And it's just like, well, what are your goals? Is this a hobby or are you trying to sustain a living from it? So honestly, guys, I can't thank you enough for joining us today because it's just so beneficial for our audience to see these or to hear these living examples of people who are continuing to work in the day to day of voiceover. And it doesn't take as much as some people think. Like, I mean, you guys work hard. You research, you have common sense, and it has worked out for you. And I just love that we, we come to this theme of just examining the resources that are available and deciding what's best for you, like not taking everything as gospel and really carving your own path. So thank you guys so much for joining us today. Thanks, Sean. I, I appreciate you guys having us on. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah thanks. It was, uh, it, it was great. Sorry, I witcher on a bit sometimes. <laughs> I did want to say, why don't you tell us where people can hire you if they want to? Oh, you can't afford me. <laughs> <laughs> well, la di da. La di da. PeterBishopVO.com. Um, all my contact details are there. And uh, yes, I mean, it's all marketing. So if your client needs a Brit, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> And if your client needs a snarky smart ass uh, <laughs> or a party girl, as we found out earlier, uh, I'm at voiceoversbytrish.com. Do you want to plug the cafe or not? No, sure, we can. Yeah, I'm I'm the co-host of the Voiceover Cafe. It's uh, voiceovercafe.org. And we have, we're also on iTunes and pretty much, I think we're on Stitcher and a bunch of other uh, podcast apps. So if you just do a search for Voiceover Cafe, you will find us. And listed in the Necronomicon and the Book of the Dead. <laughs> I will add one thing. Um, your introduction, uh, Vice President of Wovo. Everyone should join. It's very cheap uh, and good value. Uh, I will be uh, assuming the presidency after the uh, beginning of June. Oh, I didn't know oh. that. Congratulations. Congratulations. Wow. All right. Um, Corvo has done a wonderful job over the past few years. Um, I'm stepping up uh, to be president. And my aim is to put the world in world voices. So there's going to be a lot of outreach to uh, back to Europe, uh, things like that. We've pushed out quite nicely down into the uh, Spanish speaking community. And now we should really attack the proper English speaking community. <laughs> Wonderful. Very nice. And for our listeners who aren't familiar with uh, with Wovo, that's the World Voices Organization. It's a trade organization, uh, not not necessarily a union, but just a group of professional voice actors who are working together to ensure and maintain the integrity of the voiceover business internationally. So I think it's an amazing it's an amazing organization. I'm a member, and if you're looking for um, like they actually have a mentorship program. So if you're looking for feedback on studios demos. Uh, or people to ask questions to, it's a wonderful resource for that. Yeah, my favorite mm-hmm. mentoring uh, thing is the uh, sanity check. So oh, yeah. <laughs> just need to talk to someone because you're going crazy. Um, that's there as well. So yeah, world-voices.org, check it out.
So thanks again to Trish and Bish. That was so much fun. I didn't really want it to be a huge roast of Terry. All right, I kind of did, and I'm glad it went that way. But it was just so fun to have those two on. They're just a hoot every time I talk to them both That guy needs on... to be knocked down a peg. <laughs> but every time I talk to them both online or in person. Absolutely. They've been incredible mentors, both, uh, like you said, live and in person. And uh, they've both been extremely helpful to our own careers, helping, like, steering us away from some of our questionable gear purchases, if you can believe it or not, and really helping us have just a more realistic and professional mindset when it comes to pursuing this and kind of helping us avoid some of the pitfalls that we try and help you guys avoid. So that pretty much wraps up this episode of the VO Meter. A couple of things we have coming up pretty exciting. We are going to have the host and creator of the Mid-Atlantic VoiceOver Conference, Val Kelly. She's coming up in our July episode. Miss Squacky Voices herself. Yes, exactly. And then we will be presenting live from Otakon 2018. It's the Japanese anime convention at the Washington Convention Center in Washington, D.C. That's August 10th through the 12th. And then we're also going to be at the Mid-Atlantic Voice Conference itself, broadcasting live from there. Epic. So I sadly will not be at either of those events this year, but I believe, uh, will Chris DeToli be joining you again for Otakon? Yep, Chris DeToli for Otakon, and Ken Foster will be uh, filling in for Sean at Mavo. Excellent, excellent. He did a fantastic VO meter shtick for us uh, several episodes ago. should definitely go check it out. The the purple-haired man with the purple heart, I guess. (laughs) So thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoy it, and catch us next time on the VO meter. Measuring your voiceover progress. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the VO Meter, measuring your voiceover progress. To follow along, please visit www.vometer.com. 